So thanks for all for coming to learn with me. And we left off last week's discussion, uh, two weeks ago really, um, by talking about the midah of Ishtavas, the midah of equanimity, the midah of being able to approach everything that happens to us in life with the degree of sameness, with the degree of oneness, with the degree of acceptance that allows us to transcend. And uh, we emphasized at the end the role humility plays in the process. Humility is not only the foundation of the lofty trait of Hishtavut, but really all positive traits in that it serves as a fertile ground for godliness to sprout. I think it bears studying how humility functions in this place uh, as a catalyst for the other midot, as a foundation for them, and specifically Hishtavut, the midah of equanimity. And uh, I want to turn uh, to a Hasidic master. Uh, here, the name of the Hasidic master we're going to be reading is Rav Yaakov Yosef of Ostraha, who is known as Rav Yevi, which was an acronym of his name. He lived in the, uh, he died in 1791, lived in the 18th century. And uh, he has a sefer, a compiled sefer of his works, mostly commentaries on Tehillim, on Psalms, called Rav Yevi Ala Torah. And uh, in his commentary on Psalm 73, uh, we find something that is very germane to our discussion, connecting the trait of Hishtavos with the trait of Anava, the trait of humility. The sensitivity and understanding of the inner workings of the religious mindset here are, are staggering, really. They're astounding. And Rav Yaakov Yosef explicitly ties together humility and Hishtavos in his discourse. And you should also note as well how he rules out the possibility of attaining this mida, the mida vanava, through the kind of studied apathy, just not caring about things that we might associate with anava, saying, I don't care, I'm not big enough, I'm not important enough. And he dispels that from the discussion. On the contrary, apathy and being taken advantage of uh, due to the trade of anava, due to having humility. So being, uh, having those aspects of personality are actually a pitfall on the way to acquiring this lofty and all-encompassing character trait. So let's take a look inside and see what Rivievi has to say on this midan. And I hope that you'll be struck by the psychological depth and sensitivity uh, in his words that I am. I should add that one of the things that attracts me to the writings of the Hasidic masters uh, is that uh, for, all of the, for all the incredible exegetical flourishes that they have, and for all of the uh, ability to see the Torah in a new, in a new light, the understanding, the, the, profo- the profound understanding of human psychology is something that is, uh, I think, uh, uh, constantly amazes, constantly um, kind of shocks you anew. How did they know this? How did they understand so deeply? So here's what Rivievi writes. So this is coming on one of the Tehillim that starts off with Mizmor Asaf. Of course it's good to practice humility, to have humility. So here's Rav Yevi speaking in the name of David HaMelech as David HaMelech is writing this psalm. He says that Asaf is wondering, David HaMelech is wondering, how does one acquire the characteristic of humility? How do you get to this place? There are indeed two different kinds of anava. And I want you to keep this in mind. Rav is writing this in the 18th century. I want you to keep this in mind, his notion of two different kinds of anava. The first kind of anava, the first kind of humility, achas, the first, to make oneself smaller, to lower oneself, to, to diminish oneself, to not take up so much space. The Maharal writes in 
in his Nesiva Satora, he says that um, he says the opposite of anava is a gas ruach, somebody that takes up too much space. Uh, an anav is somebody that takes up less space. They are mema'it themselves. Velo yikabel shum kavod v'his nasus mi chavero. The first conception of humility says is that you're constantly diminishing yourself, you're constantly making yourself smaller, you're never accepting any honor, you're never accepting any uh, superiority over other people, and it manifests with a kind of shvelus, to be lowly, shafel ma'od, very lowly. That's the first kind of anava. Yesh anava gedolamizu. He says that's a lowly kind of humility, that's a lowly kind of anava. A greater kind of anava, gedolamizu shiyelo midas hishtavus. The greatest kind of anava, Rav Yevi says, is to have equanimity, to have a degree of sameness with all the things that happen to you, of recognizing yourself within all of the events that happen to you, good and bad. Like the Piazetsner said when we learned a few weeks ago, not being a hotel for bad thoughts, now bad thoughts are here and bad things are happening to me, now good things are here and good thoughts are in my mind, but rather centering oneself and having that kind of personal anchor, that kind of moral, uh, philosophical anchor to everything that you do. So this anava gedolamizu, the great kind of anava is tantamount, is part of what we would call the midah of hishtavas, of equanimity, that we discussed in the fourth shir. What does that mean? If people want to honor you, if people want to treat you with the great respect, so you accept it. But it's meaningless to you. It doesn't, it doesn't change who you are. It doesn't make you who you are. It's not important to you. The honor and respect you might receive from people, you could accept it. You don't make a big show out of it, right? But it's, but it's something that is not important to you. It's not a goal. And if they don't give you honor, and if for some reason you find yourself not honored or dishonored, so then it also doesn't make a difference to you because you know yourself and you have your anchor. And even if you're a great honorable person, and you have to do something that people would say, Eino lefik fodo. It's not according to your honor to do such a thing. It's a, lowly, it's a lowly thing to do. So you do it and you're not makbid. I would say that the, in Rav Yevi's discussion of the loftier version of anava, of humility as manifesting with the trade of equanimity, is that you don't have kapedas on the world. That you're not constantly keeping score. Am I being honored? Am I being dishonored? Am I being embarrassed? Am I being exalted? It's not part of your cheshbon. It's not how you live your life. You're not looking to live your life and to act the way that you are in terms of these feedback mechanisms that so many of us uh, are, are controlled by. Eino makbid. Ve'al shneem amar lavoli de midas hanal. And on both of these types of humility, whether it means being shafel, whether it means being lowly and not accepting any honor, or whether it means rising to the level where honor or dishonor makes no difference to you, it's all the same, it's very difficult to arrive at that. The first kind of anava is, it's hard enough to lower oneself. It's hard enough to make oneself into a person that's small and to not take up space in this world. Why? I'm constantly 
pushing myself down, if I'm constantly making myself low in Shafel, and I actually get to that, so then you're going to be dishonored. You're going, if you act shuffle, if you act low, you will be seen that way by other people and you could very easily be taken advantage of, especially in a world where we define life as almost a constant, we don't, we don't want to, but life seems to be defined as a constant battlefield of one person and another jockeying for position and and, 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 and fighting for scarce resources. Vigam mita shnia, the second level of humility, kashem od, is even harder. Ki im If I accept the covet, if I accept the honor that other people give me, if I roll with that and I say, okay, they're honoring me, and inevitably, as happens so often in life, I have to do something that's lowly. I have to do something that is so then it actually will make me feel lowly. It actually will make me feel like a piece of dirt. And I'll be a mockery, a joke in front of all these people and they'll be mavaza. So to review, Rivievi says that there's two different types of anava. The lower kind of humility is one that maybe I think if you went and asked people in the street, what is humility? What does it mean to have the trait of anava? So they would tell you, make yourself into a smartut, make yourself into a rag, be lowly, be somebody that, that let, people, uh, let people walk all over you, don't look for any honor, never accept any honor, never accept any sort of accolades, always be lonely, have a be, be, and, and we saw this in Perkeavos and Shul, right? There is a notion in rabbinic literature of making oneself small in front of other people and, and, and going through life with your head down and recognizing, uh, you know, I say this a lot and I get in trouble for it. Um, I'm not doing this because I actually feel this way. It's because I want to feel this way. Uh, you know, people will say, good drasha, it happens every once in a while, or thank you, rabbi, for something. It also happens every once in a while. And, and you know, I'll have like a... I'll, have, I'll say, well, I'm, I'm garbage, I'm trash. Um, Jack Schenker, Martin's husband, is one of the people that always uh, makes sure to, uh, to jump in and say, what do you, how, how could you talk about yourself like that? He's right. Um, and uh, the other people who have, uh, who have said, you know, that, that it even, it, it's, it's a bad show. Um, humility is not something that could ever be faked. Uh, humility is something that needs to be cultivated and needs to be done the right way. That, to, that is hard enough. One second, Sandy. But on the, on the other hand, if I rise to the level of humility as being a manifestation of dealing with life with equanimity, whether I'm honored or dishonored, not really so different, so then I also might find myself in a place where if I really am dishonored, it could hurt me very badly. And Sandy, before you get in here, uh, one of the things that I've, uh, in, in public Jewish life, one of the things that I've carried with me um, at all times, in my mind, is, uh, is a, an amuna, is a faith in a statement that Rabbi Nachman said. That Rabbi Nachman said, and I'm going I'm I'm to mess it up, but Rabbi Nachman said that, that the main thing, the ikr, is for somebody to be mekabel bizyono vilishtok, to accept bizayon, to accept the inevitable indignities, the inevitable uh, embarrassments of life, and to be shotik, and to be quiet, and to keep, it, and to keep your mouth shut. Now, that's not always, that's not always the, best, uh, the best idea. That's not always the best thing to do, but I think it is a way to move through life to say, even when, even when I have that inevitable indignity in life, 
to recognize that there is value in learning to accept it. It doesn't mean that I let people walk all over me, but it means that not everything needs to be responded to. It, it means that not everything needs to, uh, that not everything needs to be about me asserting my honor or asserting the respect that's given to me. And I'll give an example of what I think uh, a person that I learned the second kind of humility from, my Zaydi Zechrona Levracha, uh, was a principal, an important man, a community leader, and, um, and my Zaydi was a person I think that practiced, had many reasons to be misguided, had many reasons to feel very great because he was indeed a great man. Uh, and, when, and, and when I was hearing stories of my Zaydi's life, one thing that jumped out to me is stories like, for example, when it would snow in North Shore Hebrew Academy. So the principal, the head of the school, my Zaydi would be the one who would shovel the walk when there was nobody else to do it. Or one time when the bus drivers couldn't show up, my Zaydi would be the one who would drive kids home, who would be the one who, would, who wouldn't go ahead. How, how could it be that the principal has to go ahead and do this? No, this too is part of my job, and there's no bizayon in this because the accolades that he got from people for building a school and a community uh, together with the other leaders there were just as important to him as, uh, as the potential of people see him saying, really, Rabbi Horowitz, that's what you're going to do? That too is a manifestation of humility, that second degree of humility, which is, I think, synonymous with the equanimity that we were discussing before, not caring for honor or dishonor, but knowing where my anchor is and knowing who I am, that is the true manifestation of humility as well and even harder to arrive at because uh, when, when I lose that equanimity, it could be far more painful. Sandy, you wanted to say something. Yeah, um, I think you answered a part of it, but to me, humility and setting yourself up for bizayon are two separate things. To shuffle the snow in front of the school that needs to be done is not a bizayon. That's doing something and, and everybody will all in it together. To let somebody be mevaza you, I don't think it's good for the person. I don't think it's good for people observing it. And if you're not doing it for your cupboard, but just that it's just not a good thing. It, 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 it's, you know, there is certain, like you say, Derek Harris you've spoken about that allows society to function. I don't think that that is, doesn't go along together with, hum, with um, humility. I think it's two separate things so, so I, I think you're right, and, and let me let me be a little bit clearer. Um, there, there are indeed. I forgot the name of uh, of um, the Greek. There was like a Greek philosopher, Diogenes, maybe. There was a Greek philosopher that that believed very strongly in inviting bizayon. That believed very strongly. He would uh, he would go around the marketplace naked. He would sit in the filth. And he would, uh, he would completely debase himself in front of other people, despite the fact that he was a, a great philosopher, a great genius. And, uh, and this was sort of part of how he, well, I think, I'm not exactly sure what the goal was, I think more to show that, uh, that it's all meaningless at the end of the day, honor and dishonor and, and to invite it. Or, you know, you may hear stories, I don't know if they're apocryphal or not, of Navardic, you know, the school of Musser where, uh, where they would send people, I don't know if this is true or not, where, you know, they would send a, a bacher, uh, to go to the uh, to go to the supermarket and to ask for hardware, or you know some version of that story, where where you would invite you would invite embarrassment, where you would invite this degree of uh, of bizayon and use that to refine your character. Now I'm not I'm not talking about inviting embarrassment, and I also want to make a distinction between bizayon between embarrassment 
and, and doing things that are lowly or, or what we might call beneath you. And you're right, Sandy. Nowadays, when we see people doing that, right? If we see, if somebody sees me picking up garbage on the floor, they might say, uh, something I do, you know, the school needs to be clean. So somebody will say, oh, you know, somebody might say, oh, look at Rabbi Rosenfeld, he's putting on a show, right? We're, we're much wiser to these kind of things a little bit. But I do think that nobody should ever invite uh, embarrassment upon themselves. And first of all, uh, and second of all, we have a responsibility, the rest of us, to stand up for Kavodah Torah, to stand up for the Kavod of, uh, of elders, to stand up for the honor of great individuals and to not let these kind of things happen. So I think that there is a, a fine, a, a nuance to be, uh, to be expressed here. And I think that you did a good job of saying it. I don't think that Riviavi is saying that one needs to invite this embarrassment, but one needs to be prepared for that kind of embarrassment. I think that that's what Rabbi Nachman is saying. And if it does happen to you, um, to, to accept Right, to be makabel biziono, makabel abono, vilishtok. And sometimes it's, it's, sometimes it's better to be quiet. And of course, there's going to be, of course, there's going to be circumstances where you do need to stand up. Maybe you're representing something bigger than yourself. And, and that's also humility because you're recognizing it's not about me to stand up for my honor in this particular thing. It's about the, the Kavara Torah. Now, that's a tricky place to be, but that's like all mitos and like all the things we've been discussing in these shiurim. When it comes to personality traits and when it comes to the real world where they're expressed and, uh, you know, the laboratory where, where, where we deal with all these things. So, of course, I think there's going to be infinite complexities to these kind of things. But at least I think we can appreciate the two different levels of humility that Raviavi is saying and also the very strong rabbinic tradition, I think, of understanding. You know, in the rabbinic tradition, uh, embarrassment was tantamount to murder. Was tend to, and, and, and it's on the other person, right? Better The Gemara says, I forgot exactly where. It's better for somebody to toss themselves into a burning furnace than to embarrass somebody else in public. And uh, even uh, there's statements in the Rishonim that make it tantamount to murder to do this. So there's also an onus upon other people to not engage in embarrassing other people in the first place. But this statement, I think, is, is, is important for linking our notion of equanimity and seeing that level of equanimity as the higher level of anava that we're talking about. I don't think that anybody would prescribe as, um, you know, ab initio to say that to be shafel ma'od means that, uh, that, that you're going to act like Diogenes. Was it Diogenes? I'm going to have to, you guys are going to have to bear with me because I'm, uh, I'm on this. Diogenes, Greek philosopher. I think it's Diogenes. Greek philosopher, let's see if he's the one that I was talking about. Diogenes, he made a virtue of poverty. He begged for a living and often slept in a large ceramic jar. He became notorious for philosophical stunts, carrying a lantern during the day, claiming to be looking for a man, criticized Plato. He did other things that weren't so nice and not appropriate for a, a shear. But, um, but, that's, but that's, I think, uh, a different, that's a Greek way of looking at it. So, so that, is, that is our opening salvo in understanding the mida, uh, the trait of, uh, of humility. Now, regarding God himself, we're told, that it, we're told in the Talmud that even amidst the most awesome displays of God's omnipotence, modesty, and humility are there as well. This teaching is a special one, and it earns the Talmudic status of something that's not just taught in the Torah, but in Nevi'im and Ketuvim as well. There are certain rabbinic statements that it says that something is mishulash, that something is 
mentioned in triplicate in rabbinic sources, Torah, Nevi'im, and Suvim, and it's a way to underscore the importance of a particular idea. Listen to this Gemara. Amar Rav Yochanan. Rav Yochanan said, Kol makom Any place where you find the might of God Almighty, you also can find God's humility, God's modesty as well. It's written in the Torah, it's repeated in the prophets, and it's tripled in the Ksuvim, in the later writings. What's the examples? Kasav Torah, it's written in the Torah, God is the God of all gods and the King of all kings. V'ksiv Basrei, and right afterwards it's written, And yet, God, the greatest king, the most powerful king that ever was, using the metaphor of an earthly king, is somebody that deals righteously and takes up the cudgels of the Yatom and the Almana, of the orphan and the widow, who are considered the lowliest in society, God concerns himself with them more than anyone else. Shanoi b'nevim. It's repeated in the Nevi'im in Isaiah. Ko amar ram venisa shochinad v'kadosh. This is what God, high and almighty and holy, this is what God says, and God is described in these lofty terms, powerful terms. V'ksiv basrei, and it's written afterwards, v'ezdika u'shvaruach eshkon. That God, that God dwells amongst the lowly of spirit and the depressed of spirit. That's where God is to be found. And it's mishulash, and it's tripled in the ksuvim. Dixiv, it's written in Tilim, Sulu lirochev ba'aravos, be'ishemo, v'kosev basrei, av yesom v'dayan amanos. God goes through the firmaments on a chariot, mighty and powerful and uh, and 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 encompasses the whole world, and yet concerns himself, the judge and the guardian of Almanot, of the widows, of the lonely, of the Yisomim, of the orphans. So God, in, in all these places, we find God's greatness, and yet we also find God's, uh, God's humility, God's kivyachal. God is giving us, as we learned in our first three shirim, God is giving us an example of how we should be, that no matter how great we are, no matter how important we are, no matter how much power we may have augured for ourselves over a hard-charging lifestyle of, of, uh, of becoming high and mighty and powerful and wealthy, our job is to copy God and to make sure that in every place that our, that our gedula is manifested, that our greatness is manifested, our humility, our modesty is manifested as well. And this is, you know, this is the proverbial, you know, CEO of the company who knows the name of every maintenance worker. I remember when I, uh, when I was, uh, uh, when I was uh, going into education and going into, into, into the rabbinate. So one of the things that they told us in the practical rabbinics classes, they said the most important people in the building, of course, you're going to know the names of the big donors. Of course, you're going to know the names of the people that sit on the board of, of the high and powerful and mighty. Make sure, make sure you know the names of every single security guard, of every single person who cleans the bathrooms, of every single person who puts back and cleans up after the kiddush. 
It's not beneath you to do anything like that. And I think that that's really important advice. I got this advice from Rabbi Robinson when I first came in. You know, you could be all wide-eyed coming into a community with such incredible, amazing people. If you treat people differently based on their power, or if you use your own quote-unquote power based on the position you are to privilege certain people above others, you're doing a bad job at it. A rabbi or a community leader or anybody in a position of power needs to find the same meaning and give the same time to the people who might be lonely, to the people who might be lowly, as to the people who have everything. That is a manifestation of humility. That is a manifestation of modesty. And hopefully if you do it enough, you cultivate it in a very real way and you're truly acting godly. So God is not just revealed to us in the awesome display of the theophany at Har Sinai with Kolo Subrakim, Vahar Kulo Asha, and the mountain on fire, but God is revealed to us in the small, still voice as well. As the presence of God is made known to him on the run from Ahav and Izevel, Elijah the prophet in 1 Kings chapter 19 says, after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a small, still voice, a cold mamad akawi. Of course, when God is first revealed to Moses, it wasn't in some awesome display, but a small thorn brush on fire. The primary mode, I would say, of direct revelation of God to an individual thus seems to be in a way that barely registers in the cacophony of this world with much larger conflagrations beyond. In the small, still voice, anywhere that you find God's greatness, there you find God's modesty and humility as well. Now, I think it's something of an open question as to which character trait, especially in now five shiurim talking about Midos, and we barely scratched the surface on Midos. It's an open question as to which character trait is the most important. Everybody wants to know what's the most important thing, piety or humility? I think that the debate surrounding it tells us that both traits, piety and humility, need something of the other in order to be functional and successful. Piety, doing the mitzvot and being a person who's scrupulous with all the commandments and all the requirements of an observant Jewish lifestyle. So piety is great. We're fulfilling the commands of God. We're living out our actions as prescribed by God himself in the Torah and infusing every aspect of our life with uh, God in full view. However, piety, I would suggest, can also sometimes confuse. And a person can assume that their pious actions are the end-all and be-all in the service of God. They could even come to a place where they denigrate the less pious. They can become uh, what, what's called in halachic literature, uh, a bit, they could acquire for themselves a bit of yuara, a bit of pretentiousness, a bit of supremacy, a bit of superiority. And that can fail to account. People who are exceptionally pious can fail to account for the human aspect the very unpious people and unpious world that surround them and with whom they may have even been themselves. Some humility is always called for. And without it, piety loses its humanity. The same goes on the flip side as well. One could arrive at a place in their soul where there's too much humility. That manifests as a lack of drive, perhaps, an apathy towards growth and change. Who am I? What's my life worth? It may be appropriate to say that and to get into that kind of a personal hole, maybe when you're in the throes of tshuva on Yom Kippur, but it is a 
painful and I think negative way to live, to be shfal ruach all the time. Piety says you have work to do. Get busy doing the commands first and foremost. Learn Torah, improve yourself, make yourself great. And then we'll talk about your efficacy as a human being in this world in the span of your lifetime. And that can be done through humility, through modesty, through anava alone. The greatest post-Talmudic ethical text and one of the greatest Jewish works of all time that we've spoken about in previous years on the Tuesday night Shi'ur is the Sefer known as the Mesilat Yesharim. It was written by the mystic visionary Rabbi Moshe Chaim Litzato, also known as the Ramchal. He lived a little bit earlier than Rav Yevi, died in 1746. And it outlines in Eretz Yisrael, it outlines the stages in personal religious development that culminate in pure Ruach HaKodesh. And the book is patterned over 12 character traits in the chain that's taught to us by Rabbi Pinchas ben Ya'ir. It appears in the Gemara, in Avodah Zarah, on Daf 20, on Daf Chaf Amid Beis, and it's also printed at the end of Tractate Sota, on Daf Memtes Amid Beis. Now, although the Ramchal focuses on only nine of these traits and leaves out the final three, the final three are Torah, Ruach HaKodesh, Divine Inspiration, Prophecy, and Resurrection of the Dead, Tchiat um, Mesim, because the work is directed at the individual on the path towards morality, and therefore in the book are only mentioned the traits that are dependent upon the individual. And that uh, notion, the reason the Ramchal only focuses on nine character traits rather than the 12 mentioned in the Bryson leaves out those last three. The fact that, it, again, it's directed at the individual working towards ethics and morality and perfecting themselves. And therefore the only ones that are mentioned in Mesilas Yisharim are the ones that focus on the individual. That insight, that particular insight comes from Uri Sherki and his amazing a rabbi in Mahomeir in Eretz Yisrael, an amazing, amazing teacher and uh, wrote a wonderful book, a collection of his shiurim on, uh, and notes on Mesilat Yisharim. He mentions in this Breitah, there's a dispute as to which trait is more important. Chasidut, piety, or anava, humility. Let's take a look at the Breitah. Let's see what that famous Breitah is. Uh, just before I do, uh, just to check for everybody with me, right? So far, so good? Fantastic. Okay. So is, yes, Sandy. Just a quick question. Sure. Are there any midos that are spoken about that emphasize kind of a balance? Like, you know, like we say, like a person should say on one hand, I'm a worm, you know, you know, and on the other hand, the world was created for me. Right. Um, It's interesting that when one is teaching midos, there isn't kind of a... I won't say positive, but a more balanced way of presenting. Even when we talk about humility, the example, you should let somebody, you know, mashpil and the you. that's the, how people take it. There's something wrong in the way it's taught, from my point of view, that isn't there also some midot, uh, and I don't know why it's taught that way. And also, aren't there other midot that are more balanced? Like, you know, like which tells a person, yes, I have to go through the world with proper humility, but I also have infinite potential, and that's a mita. Why is that not taught? Why is it these two that are mostly emphasized? That's, that's an excellent uh, question. I want to try and address it uh, carefully, uh, because I think what I'm going to be driving at with this year is that uh, there is a way to have anava and to be really proud of that anava. 
And even on the path to acquiring real humility, the second level of humility that Rav Yevi was talking about, which is why I brought that source. I thought it was so good because he redefines Anava as, as having that, that kind of equanimity, being in the middle between being shafel and being exalted, um, is I think, I think that you're absolutely right. And I think that there's a way to have humility and to have great pride in one's humility, even more so. I think that there's a way to use humility and to understand that through practicing humility in a healthy, proper way uh, is actually the best, is one of the best prescriptions for a life well-lived is that, um, you know, psychologists and positive psychology, I mean, I'm telling, I'm, I'm telling you, uh, you could... You could probably teach uh, 20 lectures on this, but uh, there, in the 1990s, there was the development of the field of positive and personal personality psychology, uh, emphasizing study of particular character traits, happiness, and, and, um, and one of the character traits that was studied was humility. It's having something of a renaissance. Um, I could recommend the great New York Times article, which led me, I'll show you that we're going to come to the end. I'll show you from, from where I'm talking. Um, I, uh, I, I managed to get... a. a a review of the literature um, in the Association for Psychological Science and Current Direction Psychological Science, an article from 2019 with a review of all the literature on humility. And I'm going to show you, I mean, I don't want to give the game away, but in, in the, the field of psychology nowadays, they also define humility in two particular valences, in two particular areas, much like Rivievi did, uh, La Havdil, in, uh, in the 18th century. Now, to, to come back for a second. Sandy, you mentioned uh, the aphorism that's attributed to the Kutzker Rebbe, that everybody should walk around with two pieces of paper in their pockets. And one piece of paper, it should say, Bishvili Nivra Olam. For me, the entire world was created. I'm the most important person in the entire world. I'm here with a purpose and, and a reason. There's a reason I'm here, and, and I'm the most important. On the other hand, a person should walk around in life saying, I'm dust and ashes, the lowliest possible thing. When one feels too lofty and too high upon themselves, maybe at a, a great, uh, some great successful thing, so, so you take out the one that says, from dust you come and to dust you'll return. When you're feeling lowly, so you should remind yourself, you're here with the task to do. You have to accomplish. That's what I think, by the way, if you could really, uh, if you could forgive me for simplifying like this, that's what I think is maybe what I mean by this, by this dichotomy between piety on one hand, being pious, doing, accomplishing, becoming great in Talmud Torah and in, in, mid, in, in, in not Midas, in Talmud Torah and, 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 in, and in mitzvah fulfillment and observance, knowledge and, and, and what you do in that sphere. And then on the other hand, becoming great in the Midah Vanava and if need be, even in the lowlier kind of Midah Vanava. I'll add to that that I think the emphasis on Anava is also because and it's very hard for people to do. I think the natural default setting for at least me, I speak for myself, but I'd imagine this is true of many people, especially uh, nowadays, is that, uh, you know, I would say we, we're, not, we're not exactly living in the golden age of humility, uh, all the way up to, uh, you know, our elected leaders. It's not, it's, not exactly what, uh, it's not exactly what gets you ahead in this world. But I think that people's natural proclivity is to feel great. Their natural proclivity is to have, uh, to have, to have a kind of arrogance. And that, does, and that, I think, manifests far more deleteriously than having too much anava. And of course you want to strike the balance. And when, when, when we talk about equanimity, when we talk about finding amidas vishtavas, it doesn't mean always being zen about this. It means being torn, being tossed between those two poles. I, I like to say always that sometimes the middle is the most extreme position. 
right? To not be drawn towards the extremes. Sometimes the extremes are an easy place to be. So they're, they're clear. They're black and white. They're easily defined. Sometimes it's the battle. It's staying in between, like, uh, like a shimshon almost, you know, with the two poles, right? Maybe that's a bad uh, example. Now, you don't want to bring the whole edifice crashing down. But sometimes being in that middle position, torn between those poles, is a far more difficult place. That's what I'm advocating for. I'm advocating for that, that constant and, and frankly exhausting place to be where I'm dealing with, with, those, with those two poles, that polarity. So let's take a look at the Brysa. It's an excellent question, Sandy. And uh, I wish I were about to run out of time. I wish I could uh, speak about this for hours. And I know that you and I can. So here's the Brysa. Amr of Pinchas ben Yair. So here's the chain of character traits. Here's the, train, the, tra- the, the, the chain of, of Midos. Torah miviali dezihiru. Study of Torah brings a person to, to carefulness, to, to care and performance of mitzvot. Zihiru miviali dezirizus. And when you're careful about your mitzvot, then you're diligent and you have alacrity in their performance. Zrizim iviali de'nikiyos, and that kind of alacrity leads to cleanliness, not just in your soul, but in your life. Nikiyos miviali de'perishos, and cleanliness brings you to abstention, to abstention, to separateness. Perishos, abstention, brings you to tahara, to purity. Purity brings you to chasidut, to piety. That's how you finally become a pious individual. Chasidut miviali de'anava, and chasidut and piety can bring a person to another. That's how it ideally is done. I'm pious, I'm observant, I'm accomplishing, I'm doing things, but I realize at the end of the day, there's nothing more than humility. I should always be humble in all my ways. Anava, maybe the year at hate, and when I'm humble, I have fear of sin. I wouldn't do anything against God's will because I know my role, I know my place. And year at hate, maybe Ali de Kedusha. And fear of sin brings a person to holiness, that which we're looking for. Kedusha miviali de rocha kodesh, and Kedusha brings a person to divine inspiration. We could all, if we followed this chain and we were diligent with this, we could finally find ourselves in a place where we have divine inspiration, where we attain a, a smidgen of prophecy in our lives. What an amazing way to be. The Ramchal achieved this himself. Ruach HaKodesh, Miviali de Triatamesim, and Ruach HaKodesh can bring a person to being above all of this world, above all of Teva, above all of nature. The ability to resurrect the dead, the Mida, the, the realm of resurrection of the dead, where, where no rules of this world apply. And Chasidut is Gedolamikula. Of all these, Chasidut is the most important link in the chain, according to Pinchas Ben Yair. Shinemar Az Dibarta Vechazan Lechasidacha. When God spoke, when God speaks in Ruach HaKodesh, at the end of the chain, the people that God's speaking to are the pious. Now that's not all. Upliga the Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, and maybe his name means something, right? Levi was a person constantly in service of God and, and, and almost uh, didn't have a portion of the land, didn't have a portion in this world. Humble, with humility. And Yeshua, of course, was the quintessential Talmud. Uh, we say, Shema Garim, a person's name causes... Uh, how they are. I just saw an article this week about the psychology of names and how people, how people's names can be kind of like self-fulfilling things. And he says, Modesty. He says, it's not chasidut, it's modesty, humility. That's greater than all these things. So we're going to come back, right? It says that the Lord has anointed me to bring good tidings to the humble, right? The humble prophet, Isaiah. So that's Rabbi Shua ben Levi. So he says, this teaches us that another is Gedol Mikulam. So we see this tension between piety and humility. And I would say that our role is to probably occupy this space over here 
in between Rabbi Pinchas Ben Yair placing chasidut, placing piety at the top of the chain, the accomplishments of piety and of observance, and Rabbi Shuba Levi who places Anava as the most important link in the chain. So that is, um, that is, that is, how, I, that is how I would like us to see this trait. Having these two pieces of paper, but also understanding the utter importance of the role of piety in allowing us to achieve what we want to achieve. I'll show you that uh, in this study, I was struck by psychology also sees humility in two different valences. We'll just read a little quote over here. What is humility? Although some late conceptualizations of humility involve characteristics such as lowliness or self-abasement, it's always nice when worlds fit together so nicely. And uh, this could be coming directly out of Ravievi. There have been, there have, these have not been core features of psychological conceptualizations of humility. They're incorrect. It's a lowly kind of humility. Rather, a recent review of humility measures revealed that the most researchers conceptualize humility as involving both intrapersonal and interpersonal processes. Although there's somewhat more agreement among scholars about the intrapersonal, I'll define these in a second, because when I was reading this, I also didn't know what that means, of the definition. Intrapersonally, humility involves the degree to which someone seems to have a relatively accurate view of self. Right? Kodim kol, before all else, does atzmacha. Know yourself. Expressions of this aspect of humility might include the ability to acknowledge and own one's limitations. That doesn't mean that's a shvelos. It means I'm, I can't do everything. I don't know everything. I'm not the most important person. I'm not the top of the food chain. It's not about me. And to recognize the fallibility even of one's beliefs, to be open to that, and to have a clear sense of one's strengths and weaknesses. In fact, psychologists found on the inventory that they would do of people's humility and intellectual humility, that people that cultivate this trade have better relationships, better marriages, better friendships, better prospects at work, are more open to conversations and to innovation, that humility is what they call a social oil. It's something that allows everything else in our lives, it greases all of the rough edges of life and it allows us to move through life in an easier way. So humility can afford us great reasons to feel really good about ourselves. Interpersonally, humility involves the degree to which one has an orientation toward the needs and well-being of others. It's not about me, and that allows me to care more about others. People might judge this aspect of humility through interpersonal behaviors that indicate the restraint of the ego, modest self-presentation, and respectful interpersonal reaction. It doesn't mean like Josh Rosenfeld says, that I'm garbage, uh, so that people maybe expect less of me, or uh, that I uh, maybe inure myself from the inevitable criticisms or the inevitable debasements. Uh, maybe that's what it's about, but it means focusing more on others than on myself. That is true humility. The covet of others is not important because it's not about me. The debasement of others is not as important because it's not about me. It's about God. It's about helping other people. It's about cultivating. It's about getting to Ruach HaKodesh. It's about getting to a place where the world is truly better because I am in it. And uh, I think uh, an individual, maybe we'll, uh, we'll end with these last two sources. I beg your indulgence. Um, Oscar Wilde was imprisoned uh, on indecency, gross indecency charges, and he wrote a letter. Um, and you might say, well, Rabbi, you know, come on. But uh, it's very powerful. Wilde had, Oscar Wilde had an incredible way with words. And this is what he writes in his letter. The letter is called De Profundis. De Profundis is Latin for Mima Amakim. It's from Tehillim Kuflamid, Mima Amakim, from the depths. 
And this is what Oscar Wilde, who was at the absolute top of, the, uh, of, of, of his world's literary scene, was an acclaimed author and writer, and he writes, humility is the last force in us. Listen to these words. He writes, I have lain in prison for nearly two years. Out of my nature has come wild despair, an abandonment to grief that was piteous even to look at, terrible and impotent rage, bitterness and scorn, anguish that wept aloud, misery that could find no voice, sorrow that was dumb. Now I find hidden somewhere away, after everything has been stripped away, I find hidden somewhere away in my nature something that tells me that nothing in the whole world is meaningless and suffering least of all. The cabo is a bono, is bizion of to accept the degradations of life, the ones directed at you, and to understand that it has its place too, that something hidden away in my nature like a treasure in a field, is humility. It is the last thing left in me and the best, the ultimate discovery at which I've arrived and the starting point for fresh development. That is the way I would love us all to come away from this year to say that humility is a treasure. Anava opens up doors that we could never imagine towards a happier life, towards a productive life, towards an easier life, towards a life that we could go through it and focus on what's really important and which we slowly come to recognize is not ourselves, is not us. And this is why I think that at the end of time, Am Yisrael, our nation, not just on an individual level, but our nation manifests this in the greatest way on a national level and is the secret to redemption. And this comes, this is the Gemara that appears, it's actually not a Gemara, it's a Psikta Rabasi. And it's also quoted in the Yalkut Shimoni on Isaiah. The Psikta says like this, and we'll end with this. Shanu Rabuseinu. Our rabbis taught. You might know this, uh, you might know these words. At the time that the Messiah is revealed. The Messiah stands on the roof of the rebuilt temple. And calls out to the Jewish people. And says to them, Anavim, Anavim, Higia Zeman, Higia Zeman, Gilaschem. He says, Anavim, righteous, humble, modest people, Higia Zeman, Gilaschem. Get up, shake off the dust of the Anochi Afer, the Afer, and recognize as a nation. Bishvili Nivra Olam, the time of your redemption has come. And like truly modest, humble people, you might not believe it. See the light that's shining upon you. And I want to give us all the bracha that we should all hear that call as we practice and cultivate our own humility in a healthy, positive way. If we cultivate our humility, that this will be the call that we all hear together as we perfect not only our midot, but the midot of our societies. And may that time come very soon. And may we all hear the call of the Messiah from the rooftops of Yerushalayim, from the top of the Beis Hamikdash. Anavim, Higiyaz Mangi Ulatchem. I want to thank you all so much for learning with me. 